Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Wednesday morning. Hump day! Heading into the weekend. Big weekend full of games. Uh, I look forward to big weekends full of games. And I guess this fall we'll really get them, right? If everything goes off as scheduled, I know, if, if, if. And there's, there's plenty of storm clouds on the horizon that says it isn't going to happen. But if, if, if. The NBA, the NFL, college football, Major League Baseball, all overlapping, throwing tennis and golf majors on top of it. Yes! Now, this weekend, we got the return of Major League Soccer. If you're into that, great. If you're not, you're just shrugging your shoulders and moving on. Uh, but RSL plays Sunday night in Orlando. So, it's like slow crawl, right? We got NASCAR, we got golf, we got European soccer. Now we're going to get Major League Soccer. Is baseball going to happen? Are any of the stars going to play? How many of them are going to back out? How fast? Keep a list. Check it twice. Sounds like a Santa Claus deal. I don't know. It's kind of odd. All right, so uh, I've been checking the, uh, the comments, the polling. The Washington Redskins are going to change their name. And we've been running a poll online. You can still vote on it. It's on uh, Twitter at David DJ James. And I was surprised about uh, only about a quarter uh, only about a quarter of you want them to hold on to the name. You know, people love tradition. I think habit is a big driver for a lot of what we do. And you get that comfort zone with what is, um, you know, the comfort zone with kind of the known. And you just kind of get into the groove and you're used to it and it's comfortable and you, you get out of your comfort zone. It's just not as much fun. And it, a team nickname, eh, how, how important is any of this, you know? I mean, the Cowboys are either good or they aren't. It's one of the best brands going. But honestly, if the team sucks, who cares? <laughs> I mean, who, the, the Yankees brand, the Lakers brand. Man, when the Lakers are missing the playoffs every year, we are all waiting in order to get back to the Lakers because we figured they'd buy somebody who was good. But, eh. but anyways, 50% of you, uh, basically 50% of you uh, want the Washington Redskins to change their nickname. 25% don't care either way. And 25% of you want them to hold on to it. There is no... Um, no, the, the fan base really isn't uh, isn't centered on any of the new name. I, I like Washington Monuments. I thought Monuments was pretty good. You know, a lot of us when we go there, we go to the monuments. That's what the town is known for. That's what they show us when they on a TV broadcast to come back from break, and they'll show you the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, or you know the White House or Congress or whatever. So I thought Washington Monuments was kind of cool. I think Washington Americans might generate a little bit of uh, a little bit of support too, but. Who knows? Who knows where that is going? But you can throw your vote up there and uh, cast it for whatever you want. Go to David DJ James. I'm intrigued by all of this. Um, you know, the economy is, is taking a hit here. Everything's shut down and it's slowly bouncing back. Uh, some sectors better than others. But we're watching players sign contracts now. And you just think the long-term optimism. I don't think... The uh, you know the public feels it. I think the public feels, hey, is my job safe or when do I get my job back? If you've been furloughed or you've been laid off or you know if taking the hours cut, when do I get my hours back? And look at all the big picture stuff, man. The the people with money are a making money and b positioning himself to make even more money. I see that contract that Kansas City just uh, just signed Mahomes to. Yeah. 
I mean, signing him into the next decade for half a billion dollars, that's confidence. You see Wall Street and you read how much money uh, Jeff Bezos is making with Amazon. And, uh, you know, granted, they're benefiting from the fact people don't want to go into stores now. Or at least some people don't want to. And you just think you know, the, the long-term optimism that is out there for the wealthy. Uh, should we all have that optimism? Is that going to, you know, is that going to translate for the rest of us? I'm really curious about that, and I don't know what to think. And it may just be, hey, it's good to have money. And if you have money, you don't have problems, which is an oversimplification. But there's some truth to it, you know. Money doesn't fix every problem, but the problems money fixes, it really fixes them quite well. So, you know, I, I look at the Chiefs, and I look at, you know, NFL teams are all, you know, worth billions, unless they're worth multi-billions. Uh, and the owners are all multi-billionaires. You know, the, the, the St. Louis Rams moved to L.A. and they're building their own stadium. No one could get a stadium built in California forever unless you built it yourself. Uh, and that was tough, but the Niners finally pulled it off and now the Rams are doing it. And you know, these owners are worth like 15, 18, 20 billion dollars. Holy cow. Um, but they are optimistic long term. And I know we don't all feel that day to day, but they are optimistic long term. See what that means for the rest of us going forward. But things I wonder about, things that are bouncing around my head uh, when I'm getting ready to come into work in the morning, driving in. First thing I spit out when I get here. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up, Greg Hansen. He has uh, written for the uh, paper in Arizona for a long time, covered the Pac-10 and 12 for decades. His perspective on where the Pac-12 is going with their commissioner, uh, we're going to get to that coming up. But uh, coming up next, a longtime NFL reporter on that uh, Mahomes contract, what it means for Kansas City and what it means for the league. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Jason Cole, longtime NFL reporter. Join us now on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Jason, good morning. Good morning. What's going on? Well, there are multiple things going on. People love to talk about other people's money, so I guess we can start there. Patrick Mahomes has thrilled us all. He's won Kansas City, that elusive Super Bowl that they had been chasing since the merger. So it's no surprise he got a long-term deal and a big money deal. But when you saw the years and you saw the half billion dollars, did your jaw drop? No, because as soon as I – I mean, years made me go – wow, they must have really gone all in. But if you're the history of the Kansas City Chiefs and their quarterback history, certainly not illustrious, you sort of understand like why they would do this. I think once I saw the years, which I was surprised by, I actually said, uh, and I tweeted out, if you're buying out what is ostensibly the rest of his career, it's probably going to cost you $500 million, and I said $200 million guaranteed. What it is is a max, I think, of $503 million mm-hmm. with rolling guarantees 
that are in the area of you know four hundred seventy-seven million dollars. I don't know what, what exactly that means, but real guarantee of about one hundred eighty million. So I, I, you know, this was the number that I thought it would be if you were going to do that kind of an aggressive contract. Now he gets one hundred eighty in the first four years of the deal, basically. Um, but yeah. There are some people who are going to say, look, he could have waited it out and made more, say six or $700 million, and sold himself out a little bit short. But when you've got $180 million, you know, you're talking about generational wealth sitting in front of you, you've got to take that. You know, in, in a sport where you can get injured, you're coming off of a dislocated kneecap, you've got to take that deal. He's such a young player if you look at his age, and yet he's wildly talented. As you project down the line, how much better can he be? Well, it's a funny thing. Like, if you go back and you look at the 50-touchdown pass season, right? Like, is he ever going to do that again? The odds are overwhelmingly no, right? Because it's only been done three times in the history of the league, right? It's sort of like looking at Dan Marino when he came into his second year in 1984. He threw his 48 touchdown passes. And he never achieved that again. But is he a great player? Yeah. And would you take him as one of your top one or two or three or four quarterbacks on the build around? Yes. Has, they, has, has Mahomes already won the Super Bowl and surpassed Marino in that respect? Yes, absolutely he has. And so for those reasons, I, I don't care you know, what the numbers look like. I think he's going to only get to be better and better, especially while he's playing in an Andy Reid system and coached by Andy Reid. Jason Gole, longtime NFL reporter, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So do you think with the with the Ravens and the Chiefs, the NFL is going to be able to recreate what they had with Brady and Manning and what they had with uh, the, the Colts and the Patriots? Is that where we're going here with two young quarterbacks uh, with Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson? Or is that is that too much to hope for and too much to predict? Uh, too much to hope for, too much to predict. And while... I really love what Lamar Jackson did last year. I think it's harder to replicate that over the long term than it is to replicate what Mahomes did. So I think it's harder for a guy to, to run that effectively at that level for that long. Because uh, people don't get faster. They don't get quicker in this sport. They get hit and they get get older. And look, I think Lamar Jackson did some amazing things last year in making himself a proficient passer. And by proficient, I mean proficient enough that he had to be respected as a thrower. But if you look at the game against Tennessee, where they basically said, look, we'll let you throw. You know, we're going we're gonna to basically play soft against you if you can pick us apart great but we're not going to let you run and get to the outside and take advantage of the edges if he doesn't learn to beat that kind of defense on a regular basis he's there's only so far that Lamar Jackson can go and he will not be in the class of a Brady or Manning Mahomes already is that kind of thrower whether he's a runner or not I think that Mahomes is clearly going to progress to be a pocket passer later in his career 
contracts tend to be escalating across the league, meaning that you know player A gets this, then when player B is due for his contract uh, the next year or whenever, they reference and says uh, to to a degree a starting point the prior player's contract. What does this contract mean for quarterbacks in the league? I don't know if this one's going to be replicated because I don't know that anybody is on Mahomes' path right now. I mean, you know, look, Dak Prescott is a really good player, um, but he's really good. He's not transformational. He's not a guy you say, this is the face of the league. This is the guy that everybody's going to be watching. Uh, so I don't see him getting paid. Is Deshaun Watson close? In, but even Deshaun Watson is not in the same league as a thrower with all the weapons, you know, like, it's just not the same. So I don't know that anybody is, I don't know that any other team out there is going to say, okay, we're committing 10 years. And on top of that, willing to pay the kind of guaranteed money that goes with a 10 year lifetime, essentially lifetime contract. Right. So I don't think you're going to see teams do it. And I think you're going to see that agents are not going to say, okay, we're going to give away a 10-year deal just so we can get close to this number because at a certain point you're selling, your, you know, you're, you're selling out your player a little bit too low just to, just to say that you've got a 10-year deal that may be worth $400 million. I, just, I don't see that this is going to get replicated. This is a special player, special circumstances with a team that hasn't won a Super Bowl in 50 years, and on top of that, really hasn't had a, a, a franchise quarterback of any type for that entire time. I mean, the closest you get is probably Trent Green. as That's a, probably the best quarterback over the last 50 years for the Kansas City Chiefs. Longtime NFL reporter Jason Cole joining us. I think a lot of people who root for other teams, especially other AFC teams, AFC West teams, they're going to have to uh, compete with Mahomes in Kansas City, are, uh, are thinking, okay, that's great, they got him, but that's a lot of money. How are they going to put a team around him? How are they going to pay all these other people? Do you think that this deal will be renegotiated? Do you think NFL revenues are going to grow enough that he's not going to be eating up a massive portion of the cap? Or do you think that they are going to have to draft great and have guys on rookie contracts? Because they are going to be up against the cap. Well, look, I think they're going to be tighter again. I mean, look, you can't pay a guy this kind of money and have Kelsey and Hill and some of the other guys and not sit there and say, okay, you got some issues to deal with, Chris Jones and, and the like, right? So you do have to replace guys. They've already started that process, like with Tyreek Hill. They went out and got Nicole Hartman. They've got Hilaire, um, the kid from uh, from LSU, the running back. You know, they drafted him to get some, some more speed. They're trying to work on a deal with Jones. Yeah, they've done some things here that put them tight against the gap. But, you know, before we got into the whole COVID issue, the projection was that the cap was going to go up upwards of $40 million from this year to next year, from from 2020 to 2021, that it was going to go from two, basically $200 million to upwards of $240 million. Um, it may not get that high as a result, but it's going to continue to go up um, because the television contracts – force it. Now, there's going to be some blips here because you're not probably not going to have people in stands this year. But once that gets fixed, over the next 10 years with this contract, with the TV contracts, with new media coming online and becoming, becoming more dominant, you know, the Netflixes of the world, Amazon, 
crime, everything else that you're, you're seeing. I, I don't think there's any question that the cap is probably going to get close to you know, somewhere around 350 to $400 billion. And by that time, even a $50 million quarterback still allows you to have a bunch of other really great players. Because the one thing that's built into this whole system that people don't really understand is the rookie contracts are still inordinately low. So there's a whole lot of money out there to be spent. Right now against the cap, most teams have 10 to $15 million of cap money. Now, it gets eaten up. There's, there's no question about it. But nobody's sitting here saying, I can't make a move because of the cap. They can all make moves and do what they need to do. Who's your favorite rookie quarterback? My favorite rookie quarterback? In terms of who do you think has the best chance to succeed based off this last draft? Oh, let's, let's uh, review them for me for a second. My, my brain was not even there. Um, <laughs> Who are my candidates again? Well, you got Herbert. Uh, you know, he's a, a Pac-12 guy, and obviously we're a Pac-12 city, so people are interested to see. Uh, I, like, I, like, I, like Herb, I like Herbert a lot. Um, Tua, I like, I like, I like Tua an awful lot as well. Um, Does Joe Burrow have enough in Cincinnati around him to be the guy, or was he in LSU and the team was loaded? With, yeah, the problem with Burrow in Cincinnati is one, it's a terrible organization, so. I, you know, now he's exuded some leverage on them to say, okay, we're going to keep some people, we're going to do some things, we're, you know, and he, he, he's already tried that. It just doesn't last that long. Once you sign the contract and you're there and they're their property, they can pretty much do whatever they do. And Mike Brown will always fall back on path of least resistance. He's not going to go out of his way to sign players and do the kinds of things that you need to do. I mean, I think there's a very good chance you're back to the days where, you know, like when David Shula was the head coach, um, you know, Bruce Coswell was the head coach there. I think Burroughs, Burroughs in a lot of trouble um, just because of the culture of that team. Now, I will say that, you know, Tua, I like the way that the organization is going. Just the question is, how long is that body going to hold up? Now, are you healthy now? Now, okay. Herbert. The, the things I'm hearing from scouts are as long as they allow him to transition into learning pro-style offense and get away from the offense that he played in college, which he wasn't really suited for. But obviously he was a hometown kid, so he wanted to make that work. Um, as long as San Diego gives him time, they think he's got a chance. They think he's, he's tough. Yeah, he's not an outward leader like some people would expect at that position. But... Um, that, you know, a lot of people like all the other intangibles of work ethic, the dedication, and they think he's going to make it, and that he was just really poorly suited in the offense in which he was playing with at Oregon. So I think he's probably got the best overall chance. I would go to him next. And Burrow, I think he's a great player. I just think when you're buried, in, when you're buried with the Bengals, you're in a lot of trouble. Yep. The other first rounder is Jordan Love, who went to Utah State. So we followed him, and he certainly struggled after the coaching change and nine new starters on offense, new offensive coordinator, and everything. So his last college year wasn't as good as is the previous year. Uh huh. But everyone, I think, was blown away that the Packers in the first round prioritized him. It's a bad, it's, it's a bad fit for the kid. Um, there's a lot of pressure that goes with being a quarterback there. Um. 
he's he's not particularly well suited to play in the offense that he's trying to play in. I don't think the weapons are all that good around him. And I think that the coach there is going to force him on the field probably before he's ready. Because really, this is a LaFleur pick. There's no question about it. Um, yeah, they can say whatever they want to that this is the general manager making the decision, but that's not what happened in this situation. LaFleur is the one who forced this. Because LaFleur was. He he got to where McCarthy is in a hurry, which you know McCarthy got tired of dealing with Aaron Rodgers because he's a hard guy to deal with, but he's also super talented. And Lafleur doesn't want to make peace; he wants to have the upper hand in that relationship, and it's just not going to work. You know, the coach always loses the quarterback, and so I think that this you know I think that Jordan was going to get caught in the crossfire between these guys. And again, I don't know that he's particularly suited to play in that offense, certainly not right away. So I worry about that one a lot. I'm always fascinated when people who are on the inside, like yourself, say about uh, one team's culture and organization is a mess, as you just referenced with Cincinnati. And then you mm-hmm. just, before that, you had said, well, as long as Andy Reid's there in KC, and obviously that's a compliment towards Andy Reid and what he's done. It, how is one organization well run and another organization isn't when the organization that isn't all they got to do is find out what the organization that is doing it well and how they do it well and just copy it it sounds so easy doesn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's one problem with it there are human beings involved so look Different people have different styles of how they run teams, right? Some guys are hands-off, some guys are hands-on. Some guys are hands-off, and they hire. They know how to hire really good football people, right? Like, the, the Steelers historically hire good GMs and good coaches, and they keep those people in place for a long period of time. That's the perfect structure. That makes you as competitive as you can be over the long haul, which is why they've won as many championships as they have, right? So that, you know, and Green Bay, you know, relatively consistently over the last 20 years has gotten it right because they have a structure in place and, you know, they have the ultimate hands-off owner culture because they don't have an owner, right? Um, Whereas you go with Dallas, they have a hands-on owner who wants all the credit and he wants to essentially be the the football coach. I mean, I, I remember having a conversation with Jerry Jones where he said, yeah, when I was coming out of Arkansas, I really thought about wanting to get into football coaching. And then looked and realized how much football coaches made for a living and said, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I got to go make more money. And plus his heart, he did, but I still think he wants to be a football coach. And then you have my guy like Mike Brown, who is the son of Paul Brown and wants to believe that he can create a legacy that is as great, as great and overwhelming as his father. His father is, Paul Brown would be on the Mount Rushmore of, of the NFL, right? Mike Brown is, you know, just a, was a smart guy who didn't really grow up being a football coach and dedicate his life to being this. He went to, you know, went off, again, smart guy, went off, went to Harvard, became a lawyer, 
But he didn't really learn what locker rooms were like or having to call games or all those other things. He just thought, well, I'm the son of Paul Brown, therefore I can do some of the same things. And you see it with Mark Davis being the son of Al Davis. You know, there's a human factor to this. And so when you say just go do what other teams do, a lot easier said than done. All right, Jason, last but not least, all this football talk is great, but is there actually going to be a season? Is it going to be delayed, shortened, postponed, canceled, 16 games on time? What do you think? Well, I I finished my degree in epidemiology last night. (laughs) So um, from that area of expertise, I would tell you I have no idea. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, we can have sports, period, whether it's baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever it is. Um, I hope they can have football. Um, but obviously the, the numbers around the country in terms of number of cases and all those things are, look, you know, really questionable. And the number of athletes have already gotten COVID and, and haven't even been in practice yet. Uh, I mean, it's a little scary, right? So... I think there are some, you know, really major concerns, and that's just the players. You know, I'm talking about the coaches who are going to be concerned about their own personal health. And football is the, the ultimate contact sport. So I don't think you're going to see preseason. I think that, you know, they've already reduced from four to two. I think you're going to see zero really soon because just, it's not going to be worth it to play. And I think they're going to keep their fingers crossed that they're going to have, you know, be able to keep enough people healthy that they can run games off in September. And I'm just going to knock on wood and say, I hope that it happens. I have some real doubts, and I have much larger doubts about college football, especially based on, you know, Harvard yesterday saying that they're they're only going to do classes online. That's a really bad sign for what's going to happen to colleges. Jason, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on the air and joining us again. We appreciate it. Alright guys, no problem. Alright, there's a little NFL football for you. Feels good to talk a little football, doesn't it? Man, Mahomes. He is so exciting. And I think if anything's going to pry the Denver Broncos off Channel 2 on a regular basis, it's him. Now the problem is the Chiefs do play a lot of 11 a.m. games, and historically most of you are at church at 11 a.m., and the ratings are not good for 11 a.m. games versus those 2 o'clock games. So, you know, on a doubleheader weekend, we're going to have a game in both time slots. But when there's only one game, we're often going to pick the 2 o'clock game. Now, you know, the Chiefs are good. They're going to play more primetime games, and they're going to play in that 225, you know, second half of a doubleheader slot. I think you're going to see a lot of Chiefs. Uh, the way the schedule sets up this year, assuming it plays out as scheduled, I think we can only show 11 Bronco games in our what, 26 windows. So there'll be, there'll be other games shown. I think you'll see a lot of Raiders and a lot of Chiefs. But it may work out that it's split pretty evenly between the three. I'll have to see how that plays out. All right, coming up next, how about some college football? And we will get to that, the Pac-12, next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are brought to you in part by... 
WCF Insurance reminding you to be careful out there. We're joined now by Greg Hansen, sports columnist of the Arizona Daily Star. He's been on the show many times, joins us once again. Greg, thanks for coming on again. Hey, thanks, David. I guess you guys are in a heat wave up there, huh? Uh, Yeah, it's a little warm this week. I mean, I don't want to say too much because you're in Tucson, right? So nobody who lives in Tucson or Phoenix wants to hear me talk about how hot it is in Salt Lake. Least of all my co-host who's going to roll his eyes like, yeah, I mean, 99 is hot, but it's not 115. So how about a big old dose to shut up? Shut up. Sure. Thank you, PK. How would you like to live in Phoenix this week? No, thank you. Yeah. My sisters tell me about it daily. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we love having you on for multiple reasons, Greg. But one reason is that uh, you've made a career of working in Tucson. You have seen the Pac-8 morph into the Pac-10 and into the Pac-12. And so you bring a really good perspective, you know, not getting caught up in the moment, having the big picture. Uh, John Canzano has written a lot about the problems in the Pac-12, the finances, the issue with the commissioner and the office, and he's, he's got a new thing uh, about, you know, the state of the uh, the conference office. The commissioner's down to a couple years on his deal. It's two years, his deal will be up. Four years, the, the conference will need a new TV deal. So this is a big decision coming up. What have you seen? What have you heard? What do you think about which way they need to go? Because clearly, uh, from Colorado to Cal to UCLA to Stanford, there's financial issues with coaches leaving, attendance, apparel deals. So the TV deal needs to be right, given what's happened in the Big Ten and the SEC. What do you know? What do you think? Well, I think they have to have a new vision, and they have to have a new a new figure that the league identifies with because Larry Scott is the most, is the biggest spender, I think, in the history of college sports uh, in a league that can't afford it. Uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday he said he's taking a 12% pay cut yeah. over the next fiscal year out of $5.3 million by a state commissioner in, in college sports. 12%? Are you kidding me? Why not? Why not half of it? I mean, that would be a great example to the league that he's actually on the side of those who are struggling, and it didn't resonate very well with me, I know that. Yeah, when you look at it in what can be somewhat of an unusual situation, the folks who hired him, the chancellors, presidents, whoever they may be, uh, most of them, I think all but two, have changed. you have any idea how much support he has out somebody out, outside of somebody like Crow at ASU? You're right about that. Crow is his number one ally, and uh, Crow is so powerful, and you probably know this as well as anybody in at Arizona State. They're the only school in the league that hasn't announced publicly anything about uh, K reductions or cutbacks in budgets yet. It's just because Crow runs ASU with an iron fist, and, um, and as long as he is in um, Scott's corner, Scott's probably got a fighting chance, but with a ten new AD, with ten new presidents in the league, um, I, I just can't imagine Scott would be uh, rehired uh, in 2022. I'm like John Canzano. I, I think they will move before that uh, to get a different uh, figure at the top of the league. I figure that the best chance Larry Scott has to survive this is to know that he's got somebody. 
probably in the you know one of the new media people, whether it's Google or Facebook or Hulu or Amazon or whoever, yeah. ready to write a massive check, and he knows that nobody else does. And if they throw him out, they don't have access to that deal. Do you think? Bingo, I- okay, has he made that kind of move though? Yeah, I mean, I just saw Tom Hanks on TV talking about Apple TV, his new movies on Apple TV. You know, that does look like a part of the future, but would something like Apple TV be willing to absorb uh, college sports and pay what's, you know, the big money that's needed to get a Pac-12 contract, something like that? That's, That's a big unknown. I'm wondering if the conference is prepared to make drastic changes, you know, could go to eight conference games like a couple of the other conferences do, get themselves out of the ultimate high-rent district in San Francisco, or or are they going to just plot along with small changes versus substantial ones? That's a really good question. Um, Do you mean eight games for this coming season? No, I mean eight conference games uh, in total going forward once we get past this pandemic. You know, the SEC with the eight conference games and scheduling the Citadel in the middle of November as a warm-up for their big games at the end of the season really make it advantageous for themselves as a conference to get at least one, if not two, teams into the playoff. Yeah. Because the SEC is the top financial model in college sports, I could see the Pac-12 looking at that. And number one, it would the marginal teams, you know, like Oregon State and Arizona, year to year would become closer to bowl eligibility. But to me, the one difference is fans in half of the league's uh, cities wouldn't go to, to a game against Citadel in November. Um, whereas Tuscaloosa, you're still going to get 100000 So... It would be a gamble for sure. Most of the Pac-12 teams play such weak non-conference schedules now, though, that it's that it's really sad. Um, there's no greater example of that than Arizona. They haven't played it. The biggest name team Arizona's played outside the conference in 10 years is Texas Tech. So no wonder they had their smallest attendance since 1975 last year. Greg Hansen joining us, longtime sports columnist at the Arizona Daily Star. At the other end of the spectrum, there's USC. And I think the conference needs USC to be good the way the Big 12 needs Oklahoma to be good and the way the the Big 10 needs Ohio State and the SEC needs Alabama. And, and now the ACC is coming to depend on Clemson, although certainly that's much newer. These others are you know decades of tradition behind them. So SC is opening with Alabama, closing with Notre Dame, and in between they are playing nine conference games. This is not a recipe to get USC to the playoff. And the Pac-12 needs USC to be in the playoff at least, you know, every third year or so. And and they could be pretty good this year. And Clay Helton's going to take a lot of heat. But who in America, how many people can he commiserate with? How many coaches have been handed a schedule like this? I I would say nobody. Um, Pete Carroll, you know, he was having those 12 and 0 seasons. with the schedule UCLA now has, Pete Carroll's 12 and 0 teams would probably have gone 10 and 2 and would have never been, you know, a national champion. It's, that's just too much. Um, I mean, you do have to play Portland State every now and then. And USC just, you know, USC has never played a um, FCS school in college football ever. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it really is as far as that goes. And and I'm wondering, too, that scheduling 
uh, until and I wouldn't say if, I would say when we get to the eight-team playoff. So if you win your conference out of the Power Five, you're, you're guaranteed yeah. a slot in there. I'm wondering if there will be a scheduling philosophy change, or is the Pac-12 forced to do this to try to grab some attention and hope that they win these games? Yeah, it works both ways, doesn't it? It kind of works against itself. Um, and as soon as USC plays a diminished schedule, then everybody's going to be on it for playing weak points. So it's almost you win or you lose, or you, there's no middle ground. And um, I like the model of USC taking on all comers myself because um, it gives the Pac-12 such a better reputation. And maybe USC just needs a different head coach. Um, not that I'm for against Clay Helton, but you know he's not a Pete Carroll or a John McKay. Maybe they need Notre Dame to be eight and four too. <laughs> then it sounds good, but it's not ten and two Notre Dame. That would yeah, help a exactly. little bit. You know, one thing about playing Alabama at the start and Notre Dame at the end, you know, we're not sure non-conference games are going to happen. We're not sure the season is going to start. Uh, all we read is that Arizona, Florida, and Texas have become hot spots. Uh, you're in Arizona. Do you think the season's starting on time? What do you think the season's going to look like? Well, it was only a week ago that the U of A president um, actually said um, very transparently that the way things are now, he cannot imagine school opening in uh, like August 20th, except for online. And if it's online, um, how will all the students? I mean, it just won't work. Um, I, I just can't see it happen if it's online. And I've read that a million times from people who know a million times more than I do that if it's online only, there can't be college football. Um, and it's starting, the momentum's starting to go because I saw Harvard yesterday um, said it's online only. And and that's just the beginning. It's only July 7th. Imagine what it might be like on July 27th, how many other schools might say the same thing. Yeah, what was going down there in Tucson when they said Arizona was stopping uh, workouts? But was And then I thought I heard it that it was just uh, for other sports, not football. Could you enlighten us what was happening there? They paused their schedule. For example, they were going to bring start bringing back men's and women's basketball players on, I believe it was July 24th. And so that's on hold now. And it's almost doesn't matter anyway because seven of Arizona's basketball players are, are from Europe. Um, they signed seven European players this year. They're not going to be allowed to be here. They're not going to be able to get in the country. So Arizona couldn't start college basketball workouts on July 24th, even if it wanted to. Um, same for the women's basketball team at Arizona, which is a top-ten team now. They've got like five foreign players. So, and that date's not going to work. I had heard stuff early on about campuses being partially open. For instance, uh, you know, in the sciences, uh, lectures could be online. Yeah. But the labs would need to be in there. But if but they'd spread the labs out so you only have so few people on campus. And I've heard the same thing about sports that well they don't want to bring people back to the dorms. But because they're not bringing very you know the few international students maybe. But because they're not bringing a lot of people back to the dorms, you could spread players out. Everybody can have their own dorm. And so a partially open campus is the best scenario for sports. Are they talking about that at all, or is that ship sailed? Isn't that about the only way it could happen? 
where each guy could have his own room, you know, with no with nobody in the room next to him. Isn't that the only safe way it could be done? It, it makes sense. It makes sense to me, but I'm not running a university. I mean, yeah. to me, the partially open campus model is the best one for sports, and it, and it seems doable because I I don't think they want the campus 100 percent open and the dorms 100 percent full and the classrooms 100 percent full. So the partially open model seems to make the most sense. I mean, even when you say a campus is closed, it's closed to a lot of people, but it's probably not closed to everybody. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of denial or delay on the University of Arizona's part, though. I, I think they've been very upfront, and they realize this is, has become worse than they thought it was going to be, so they're in a big fix right now. Um, and if they're in a the fix, say Arizona State's got to be worse. I've seen a number of cases in Phoenix as compared to Tucson. It's seven times greater in Phoenix. That's got to be the same thing at Arizona State. I can't imagine... Yet opening on time either. You mentioned those seven foreign players. What was going on with Sean Miller that he's got a roster that looks like the United Nations? Yeah, you know, because of that FBI investigation that compromised their ability to recruit elite American players. So he went and got uh, two Lithuanians, three Lithuanians, a Turkey guy from Turkey, a guy from France, plus five transfers. Um, so it's a whole new it's a whole new world for Arizona basketball now um, just <laughs> I mean the end is near for Arizona basketball but I don't know if you have a lot of faith in what Dick Vitale says but last week he tweeted that a source told him that the NCAA is going to announce in late July level one penalties against Arizona basketball and I think my child's well enough connected that that wouldn't just be a, a bluff. Yeah. Greg Hansen, sports columnist at the Arizona Daily Star. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, let's assume that the season gets going at some point, uh, what it, whatever it looks like. In the Pac-12 South, I'm seeing a lot of uh, kind of two divisions within the division that you've got yeah. uh, ASU and Utah are respected, but USC is picked to win it. Uh, but the other three, UCLA, Colorado, and Arizona, pretty far up the track. Maybe UCLA could break out. Maybe they could make the jump. Uh-huh. Uh, does that all make sense to you, or is that uh, wrong for one or more teams? No, I think you nailed it. I just read the first college basketball magazine that came out, um, Athlons, which is pretty good. And um, it's, it described it almost like you just did. There's a clear separation. And Colorado's starting over at the bottom with no quarterback. Arizona is still at the bottom, but it does have a quarterback. And um, UCLA, who knows um, what that situation is like. I always like Utah. I keep seeing people say, oh, they lost all these defensive guys, and that's their strength. Well, I bet they're replacing them with really good players, too. <laughs> and, um, I mean, Kyle Whittingham, 20 years now, people are going to look back and appreciate what he's done more then probably than now. I mean, he's just the best. Yeah, we we do expect that defense to reload. We were talking about it uh, the other day, how since the conference uh, has gone to 12 and the Utes have gotten in, they are last in the league in touchdown passes. And so we're talking about, well, will they they improve? You know, they have to improve, but 
as long as Kyle's there, they're never going to be Washington State and throwing it all over yeah. the place by any stretch. But on the other side, well, look at all the players. I mean, they they don't have a lot of touchdown passes, but they have a lot of defensive players who get their name called when it's time for NFL draft. So, yeah, I don't know that they could be to that level where they went 8-1 uh, and one last yeah. year. But, my gosh, they're, whoever's going to be in there, you know is going to be pretty good, which is going to allow the team to be good. Yeah, I mean, everything about Utah football is positive, in my in my opinion. They've got, I know, I think Oregon's fans are fans of winners, but I think Utah's fans are fans that are going to be there all the time. And Washington has a strong fan base, but Utah's right at the top. I mean, what they've built in 15 years, 20 years, is just so impressive. Um, I mean, why couldn't that have been Arizona State or Arizona or Cal or somebody else? No, it was Utah coming from a smaller league. And, man, it's just impressive. You know, I would say that um, it is impressive because you got to do the work. And if it were easy, somebody would have done the work earlier. But, yep. you know, Tucson isn't as big as Salt Lake. And a lot of the Pac-12 cities, you know, ASU, Cal, Stanford, uh, Washington, I think what Washington's done is impressive because they're all in the shadow of NFL teams, Colorado in the shadow of the Broncos. And the fact that we don't have an NFL team here in Utah has certainly been a bonus uh, as we've watched schools here build it up because so much passion goes into NFL teams, and that doesn't happen here. The passion here goes into the college teams. You know, also... Utah had to pass BYU, and I grew up in Utah, so I know how formidable BYU was. And the Utah passed them. The people outside of the state don't realize how tough that was. Yes. Oh, yeah, no question about that. Uh, when you look at the U of A, I don't know what kind of season we're going to have, so maybe that will mitigate yeah. the circumstances. But did you see this as a make-or-break year for someone? Except for the point that I don't think they could afford to pay him off. If they fire him after this season, it's a $5 million buyout. And given what's going to happen to their budgets, where are they going to come up with that $5 million? Um, I just can't see it now. He's going to get a pass and get another year. And, you know, they've recruited poorly again. They just don't have size to compete with anybody or depth or mostly talent. But they're kind of stuck with him now, uh, so it's going to be a while. This could be a 10-year – I don't want to sound like some doomsayer, but this could be a 10-year hole that Arizona's in at football. It could be like wow. Oregon State used to be in. Well, on that happy note, Greg. <laughs> wow. I grew up in San Diego, and I root for San Diego State, so I know about lost decades. I've seen them. <laughs> They it, could be, it could be 15 or 20. He only said 10. I know. It's true. He's an optimist. Greg, we appreciate the time. We appreciate the perspective. Thanks for coming on the show again. Thank you, guys. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.